Alrighty, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu al-Nasalli ala Rasulihi al-Kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And wa alaykum as So, let's continue on going to the last ayah of our particular subsection. And I thought I already... So, so two, and we are looking at IS seventy five. So, so IS seventy five is sort of uh, completing our point about the miraculous. So they have this experience that we discussed yesterday with the murder of the man, and that they were told to slaughter a cow in the process of figuring out who is the killer. And after that happens, they find out who the killer is. And then what is it? So your hearts became hard after that, becoming like hard as rocks or even significantly, so even, I mean, even harder doesn't even capture it, but like significantly uh, uh, harder. And then there are indeed stones from which the rivers birth forth, and then there are some kind, uh, some of that that split open when water comes out, and then there are some stones that fall down for fear of Allah. Allah is not unaware of what you do. So, if we look at the stones as metaphors for for this, uh, um, what's the word, uh, uh, for people's hearts, then how many hearts do we have here? Uh, there is the stones from which rivers come forth, and then those that split open when water comes out, and then those that fall down for fear of Allah. Good. So there's four stones here. The first one is just hardened hearts. Good. And keep in mind, what are we saying? The point that I've been making over and over again about miracles is that depending upon what your proclivity is, Either a miracle is going to, you know, give you more dimension, joy in your faith, closer increasing your faith, or it's going to be something you're going to use as an excuse to dig in your heels and stay away from faith. And so you reach a point where your heart can become heart can become as hard as rocks. So first, just to repeat some of our previous points about the operation of a heart, this this only because we haven't discussed it in a long time. Oops, that's not the screen. So this drawing, which is often the butt of jokes of in my class with my daughters and nieces. So this you'll remember, we spoke of in your heart is your irada, which then informs your niyyah, which launches your actions. So your irada would be your innate yearnings, and that is the realm, obviously, of the heart. And then in your mind, you're interpreting what your heart is seeking, and so you're, you're trying to plan something and make something happen. 
with your body, your actions. And so what else are we saying? That positive actions, positive intentions will benefit your heart. Positive actions will especially benefit your heart. And then let's make this more dramatic. And then negative intentions can affect your heart. Negative actions affect your heart. And then we also spoke about the variation. What if you have a negative intention that you do not translate into action? That would be then essentially the equivalent of a positive intention. And so what then happens either, let's see if I can make this happen for this. Either you're causing darkness, well, that didn't work. What if I fill it in? Either you're causing, yeah. Anyway, either you're causing darkness in your heart or you're causing light in your heart. So all my dark, bad actions are causing darkness in my heart, which is synonymous with hardening my heart. And my good actions and intentions are causing light in, our, in my heart. And we're using green just because green is the color of Al-Islam. <laughs> <laughs> was not was not expecting that much laughter, but mashallah, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so, alrighty, maybe I should become a stand-up comic. So, so the point is that uh, you can reach a point where one is dominant over the other, and uh, you can reach the point where one has erased the other as well. So, you can reach a point where your heart is so pure like when you were a baby. And that would be you returning to your fitrah. Or the other extreme is from repeated wrong behaviors. You darken your heart, you harden it, so it becomes like a stone. That can happen. And so repeating the types of hearts that we had in this, in this section, hearts, one is a rock. One is a rock that splits open. Allowing water One is a rock from which water comes. And one is a rock that falls. In submission or fear, to Allah, fear of Allah, right? So these are the, the four rocks that we had. In, in the ayah. So first point to consider is that they had seen every single type of miracle and the end result was that each moment just hardened their hearts further. Again, what was the tragic flaw? The tragic flaw was lack of gratitude. 
The tragic flaw was that they had leaders and scholars aside from the prophets themselves, peace be upon them, that were leading them astray. And so it becomes an accelerating process. And so how does, how does wrong or right accelerate? One way is you have leaders that are corrupt that are then leading you and then you behave corruptly and then they lead you more into corruption, like you're sliding down a hill. Another is when you do a wrong action, you start developing a taste or a habit for the wrong action, so you do more. And then you develop further taste, stronger taste for it, so you do even more. And so it accelerates, like the language we used earlier in the surah is that Allah Ta'ala gives them a rope to, to, to let them go further and further. Now having said that, what are uh, rocks two, three, and four saying about such people? What do you think? Looking at these metaphors of rocks, what is it saying about them? Any thoughts? Reflections? Nobody. Well, I think... Um, yeah, go for it. Maybe, you know, for some people, it takes time. So like the constant good practice, Adhkar, they gently, you know, carve out the rock and then ultimately split uh, split it open. And then for others, I'm not sure how to distinguish that from the one from which water bursts. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last one seems like, you know, sometimes a sudden event causes you to completely uh, change your ways. And so what's the key point in all the examples you mentioned is that with these three, there's still hope. So even if your heart becomes as hard as a rock, there is still hope. And in fact, I think one of these was the example that that, uh, Alama Iqbal used and Adnan, um, maybe you can... You can correct us on this um, in terms of some some big shift he had in his own thinking. But the point is that my heart can get that hardened and and still there is hope. My heart may not be capable of receiving guidance, but still I have my mind and I have my body. And so considering I still have my mind intellectually, I can still hope for guidance, which can allow my heart to split open. And from which water bursts, in fact, a better one would be, I can allow uh, my heart to split open, which then allows... guidance to pass by or to pass through. What could that be? Uh, uh, I think someone made a note, um, made a comment, or maybe it was in Dr. Uh, Mahan's comments 
that it could be a tragedy. It could be a moment of reaching rock bottom. Another, so uh, Musa will get to your point in just a moment. Another is that what else can happen? Guidance and benefit can still happen through me. Benefit is probably a better word. And so, so this is the analogy of, of a hypocrite that you have a true believer and then you have a hypocrite and the true believer is like a delicious fruit that smells good. It has an appealing look to it and it tastes good too. And a hypocrite is what? A hypocrite is a fruit that is prickly even to hold you know, smell is nasty, taste is nasty, but nutrition can still come from it. And so that would be this person from which water bursts forth. And this is the, this is the person that's a little bit the most straightforward, the one who falls in submission, falls in fear of Allah. And so essentially, finally, they finally give in. but it is on the person, and this is to answer your question, Musab, it's on the person uh, still to decide if they're gonna remain a hardened rock. And so what is the issue here? This is the person of despair. So, Basir, to answer your question, uh, all three of these are far away from Allah, but they are still, uh, still, the point is that even if you are as hard as a rock, uh, meaning even if it's as though you're impenetrable, in, impenetrable to guidance, there is still hope. No matter what uh, a person's condition is. Now, there are going to be those people who have reached a point of no return and they're not going to return it, nor do they have any interest in returning. So, uh, is the point over here, Allah mentioning that uh, they are worse than these types, uh, or is that they are one of these and they, is, there is hope for some of them? So, it seems as though it's saying that they've become, their hearts have become as hard as rocks or even significantly harder because there are rocks that do the following. So essentially in the case of that generation, it seems as though they're, they're doomed. Good. But in the case of everyone else, there is still hope. Make sense? Yes, thanks. Good. And so think about where that whole community went from. They went from slavery to liberation from slavery, seeing their persecutors get drowned in this miraculous way to these decades of wonder, no work at all, literally the opposite of slavery, but because of this tragic flaw 
instead of getting closer and closer to Allah, they started getting further and further and further away from Allah, leading to this final destination. And the, this flaw was the being un, ungrateful, right? My reading is lack of gratitude, yeah. The combination of lack of gratitude and then bad influencers, right? The, the ulama and the umara. Okay. Yeah. Any other thoughts, questions, reflections? Because the next step will be to go through and um, 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 to look at the whole section from the perspective perspective of a few more lenses. Uh, Suleiman, could you read the ayah such that your rock types two to four are different descriptors for one type of rock? Um, possibly, I think essentially if we just look at the rock as synonymous with a heart, and so three ways that benefit can still happen. One is something makes, something shakes you, something breaks you, and then guidance comes. Uh, or with the heart, you know, there's still benefit that's coming, and then hopefully that can be an inspiration for the heart itself, or that the heart itself, somebody, you know, the person just finally decides to uh, take ownership of themselves. But they could all be the same rock, the same heart, so to speak. Could the could the middle one be someone who's not guided, but there's good that comes from someone who's themselves not benefiting from it? Yeah, I would say absolutely. You know, I mean, that would be sort of the the analogy of of a, of a hypocrite. The reason why I'm framing it as hope is that the person can, inshallah, still see that there's benefit coming from them. And then that can be the inspiration. So, so moment is saying, so we're trying to be softer than a rock so guidance can penetrate more easily, right? Yes. Misguidance and gratitude then leads to hardness and guidance gratitude leads to softness. Yeah. And so think of hardness and softness in the context of the heart as being synonymous with uh, darkness and light in the heart. So the difference between Ulfat, uh, the difference between two and three is two is someone who is, let's say, rigidly stubborn. And then <clears throat> they experience some tragedy uh, and they straighten themselves out. Okay, it's as though their heart has broken open. And then the third person is a person who is, uh, is just, you know, not upright at all. But because of something about their, their work, their being, other people are still benefiting from them. And that could be, for example, a, a, a charlatan preacher, you know, who may not even believe anything they're preaching. And still guidance is coming from them. For them, it's, it's, it's a cash cow of money to take in. And yet it's benefiting all kinds of people. And they may perhaps in the immediate, they're not like related to Dr. Mahan's example, they're not even benefiting from it because it's burying them further. But uh, they might have a light bulb moment and think, wow, I can actually, I should actually practice what I'm, what I'm preaching. Okay. Any questions or thoughts? So the scary part of this is that this seems to be uh, the overall arc of most nations. Uh, 
Oh, sorry. Late, still unclear. Number two in the hypocrite analogy, are you referring to hypocrisy as an end state, like, uh, uh, like in uh, 8 to 16, uh, or the hypocrisy of a believer? Uh, what's the difference between the two? Uh, I was just thinking like, so 8 through 16 is referring to like the archetypical hypocrite. So the one, um, whereas um, here it seems as since they have hope, uh, I don't know. I mean, then it wouldn't refer to an end state. Is that what we're saying? Like, a, like an archetypical hypocrite? So I would still say this is the same as those with the difference being that even for those hypocrites, there's still hope. Yeah. But, you know, so long as they don't realize, you know, how bad of a state they're in, nothing's going to happen. And meaning, I'm not saying they have hope. I'm saying, uh, let's say, let's change hope to something easier. Possibility of redemption. Let me know if that makes more sense. Because I think when I was saying hope, I'm speaking of a person who's in that situation, there's still hope for redemption. I'm not saying that they have hope. That they have a sentiment of hope. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they should. Thank you. Any other questions so far? Could this be Allah's way of sort of trying to get our perspective to change on the relationships around us. I mean, you know, uh, we had m mentioned the importance of, you know, relationships in the, the Fatiha, you know, portion, mm -hmm. especially. And, you know, oftentimes our, our like obstacles with our like relationship is our, you know, relationships around us is to not have a perspective of mercy of the possibility of, you know, the, good in somebody is mm -hmm. that possible here i would uh, agree with that wholeheartedly using the examples of the people who fought the prophet peace be upon him that if we think back to the 23 years uh there are people who not only persecuted the prophet peace be upon him but literally fought him in battle uh who knows how many sahaba they themselves killed and later became some of the greatest of Muslims, you know, or an easy shorter version of that is the person who I'm named after, who was literally on the war path himself, marching to the prophet's house, peace upon him, getting ready to kill him himself. You can't get any worse than that. I mean, the only thing worse than trying to reach him and kill him is to actually be in war to try to kill him and to kill his, his followers. And yet uh, the majority of those people all became Muslim. There's some, some people who died and, uh, and in our teachings are going you know, to hell. And then there's some people who even after the conquest of Makkah refused to believe, but the overwhelming majority did embrace him. And so those hearts I would suspect are probably much harder than the hearts of the people that would be around us because they're literally fighting the prophet himself, peace be upon him, and the Quran is in their language. 
So, uh, and so uh, let me know if that makes sense. Sami is saying, are these only referring to hypocrisy or do they also apply to, to confer nifak? I would say this applies to every case. Um, the, the hardened heart applies to everyone. Okay. The reason why I'm using hypocrisy is because these are people who in theory are people of belief. So it wouldn't be kufr. And Fisk, it doesn't seem like they reached that point of shameless rebellion, although perhaps they did in terms of entering into the city and then saying the wrong words and walking in backwards and such. Maybe that, that would be the same as Fisk. Um, but the point is that this would apply to everybody, yes. And so everyone can be, inshallah, redeemed in their lifetime. So the doorway of seeking forgiveness of Allah is open for everyone until the moment of your death. And even if you're in the moment of your death, even then a person should be seeking forgiveness or saying the Shahada or something. Okay. <clears throat> and so even to, to really make that a real world situation, think of the people who are the most hostile either in your own life experiences or on a national or international level. We're saying those people who are the most hostile to Islam, Muslims, belief and such, also have the possibility of redemption. And, and so, so Sami, to answer your question, uh, at this moment, these are all still rocks but the first step towards redemption is the submission, is falling with the hope then, if you're falling in fear of Allah, then you have become, you've started to get, to get softened. Any other questions or thoughts? What are some of the obstacles that, you know, stop us from having this kind of hope in people? Is it again uh, referring back to our ingratitude, or you know, is it something else? So, are you asking about our hope in other people, or the people themselves and their hope? Our hope, you know, uh, you know, looking other people, thinking subjectively. So, so essentially, if there are loved ones, you know, we don't think rationally when it comes to our loved ones, right? Uh, we think uh, non-rational would be. Uh, in understatement, irrational is probably the, the best way to describe it uh, with our loved ones. And so, so when we're, uh, they will uh, experience more of our, of our contradictions of behavior, our anger, all that stuff. And, and so, so the point being that um, uh, I think that's what often makes us then frustrated uh, if we feel that our loved ones are not going the right way, you know. And, and so that's often uh, my thought, like the biggest type of obstacle. It's just the sheer love that we have for them and the consequent expectations and hope and everything else. Any other questions? Nothing else? Oh wait, there's another question. Uh, what do they become when they become softer, like sand or clay? Well, these are, these are good questions. If it's easier to accept guidance, how do people know that they are 
accepting guidance and becoming softer. So, so the latter part is easier to answer. And the latter part is that it's so subtle that we may not realize it unless we've gone through some significant uh, transformation. Another way to frame all this is simply that a person's taking ownership for their condition and accepting reality for what it is. And, and so think of, of Abu Sufyan, who is the leader of Mecca. He has fought against the Prophet, peace be upon him. And the conquest of Mecca is taking place because some tribes have broken the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And, and the Prophet, peace be upon him, or is, uh, is not even giving Abu Sufyan the time of day when he tries to, to, uh, to reaffirm the treaty. And then other companions are telling him, you know, what's holding you back? you know, from embracing it. And still he's feeling this obstacle in his heart. And, and he's sort of like the third person here uh, uh, in that, you know, he just accepts this moment that, okay, you know, I have to, I have to embrace this. And in his case, it was probably just pride because of the humiliation that he's giving in to the other side, knowing that they are the right people. Um, and so, so the point being that does he feel a difference in his heart? Perhaps, perhaps not, but he is taking the first steps towards further guidance. And so, so like pay attention to your own inner states, you know, for example, when you're excited, when you're angry, when you are looking for something and you're getting it like when you're thirsty for something or hungry for something and you get it that can give you a taste of what your inner states may be like as the prophet peace upon him he would recognize when he would feel a cloud over his heart and then he'd start saying i'll stop for the law stop for the law stop for the law stop for and so on uh, and so some people are more in tune to their inner states than than others are and so it's sort of like saying you know are you in tune to how sincere you are and I think sometimes we can tell when we're being less sincere or more sincere. So that's sort of an answer. Any other questions? Are you, are you done? Meaning with this part of the lesson, yeah. Did you have something about it? Oh, no, I Okay. I mean, it's already, it's, we're already at 5.32 Chicago time. And so we'll have to postpone the next part, which will be revisiting everything through the lens of two things. One is through the lens of community dynamics, 6.32, mashallah, uh, through the lens of community dynamics. And then also the ultimate thing is what does each section say about Allah Ta'ala, just like we did with the first section. So the first part was looking um, at faith through an individual lens, a little bit of a collective lens. And then here, the whole story is collective. So we're going to see what insights we can get about how community dynamics operate. And most of it we've already seen, but we want to see it actually in the eyes themselves. And then above that, what does each section, each passage say about Allah Ta'ala? And so that we'll get into to tomorrow. So the way we're looking is that we're probably just going to continue uh, and go right into part three, inshallah. Uh, um, as much as uh, some of us feel tempted to coerce 
Dr. Muhammad Nan to, to, to teach their material. We figured that we'll just stick with Quran, at least for the rest of Ramadan, inshallah. And you'll find the next section, uh, part three, which is causes and manifestations of rejection uh, to, be, to be interesting and fun and frightening because uh, it'll raise for us a whole lot of questions about ourselves. This ayah is sort of an introduction to that section. So it's a completion of the previous section, but it's also a type of introduction to that section. Okay, no other questions? At all? Uh, I, I have a side question. Yeah. Uh, so uh, recently, like, I tried to uh, look at uh, uh, the world outside as if, like, um, that you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to be, um, to be grateful all the times. Uh, so, so let's say you, uh, you're grateful for even the worst thing that has happened to you. But how do you look at um, the bad that is happening in this world, uh, not just to you, but also to others? How do you, how do you, how do you think about that in, um, I mean, how do you solve that problem? Because Allah also tells you to uh, to change the thing mm -hmm. that is happening. But how can one be grateful? Do you have to be grateful for those? Or are you just grateful that in this uh, type of uh, test of, um, you know, to face hardship, you, you are just going to be uh, patient? Okay. So, so this, is a, this is a very, very important question, mashallah. Um, you should, I don't think, of, I don't know of a way to be grateful for someone else's suffering. Okay. Uh, uh, but if someone is suffering worse than I am, that is a space for me to be grateful about my own condition. So uh, I am suffering and on my own, if I can truly comprehend, this could be so much worse. So you get into a car accident, you break a bunch of bones, car is total, you don't know what your financial situation is going to be. Uh, and you're thinking to yourself, this could have been even worse. So alhamdulillah for that. So at the same time, you're in this state of unknown. At the same, same time, you're in the state of pain and, 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 you know, both physical pain, emotional pain. And yet you can still be grateful because it could have been so much worse. Uh, that I don't think is a contradiction. But if you see someone else get into a car accident, you can't be like, Alhamdulillah, right? That just, that's not a good thing to do. Um, uh, that then gets into the question of what are our obligations to other people? And so when someone is suffering, then uh, we are in an obligation to, to figure out how to ease their suffering. Just like the hadith when, you know, help the oppressor and help the oppressed. And when someone's being oppressed, that part is easier to understand. When someone's oppressing, how do you help them? Might make it hard for them to oppress. And so that gets into our, our, our collective obligations, which is a whole huge thing. But the short version of that is our collective obligations are our generosity and justice. So generosity would be in the form of sadaqah, you know, um, and sadaqah would include money as well as service. And then justice is working to establish justice for people. So we have this case of this, this young African-American man who went jogging, where was it, Georgia? And then, and then two people came up to him and long story short, they, they shoot him and kill him in cold blood. 
that happened back in February, but now the news is coming out about it because someone released their cell phone video about it. And, and there's the micro justice, which is that the killers or the alleged killers are put to trial, um, hoping, you know, we would hope that it would be a fair trial and is, uh, that can address that, that micro issue. Um, but is it going to put a dent in even a small dent in the greater issue in our society of, of systemic racism? Probably not. Might even uh, open the door for it to become worse, you know. And so those are different levels uh, that have to be addressed. I mean, part of the art, uh, argument we used to give, you know, in you know, when I mean, all of us have been, you know, from our Dr. Sarar days. Uh, I mean, the argument was that you know these are systemic things that have to be changed and fixed. Um, that is not very different than what liberation theology argues that liberation through a Catholic slash Marxist lens argues that the work of Jesus is not to feed the poor. The work of Jesus is to ask, why is somebody poor? And address those issues. And, and that was very consistent with our approach in, you know, uh, those of us who were, you know, in the Khilafah movement, some of the people here still are. But so that would be a question of obligation. You know which also relates to what is our capability, uh, our capability of, um, uh, uh, or our capacity, I should say, you know, so, so one way that we would often speak of justice and these categories come from Surat Quraysh. What am I looking for on this? We have just, we have unjust. And what are the different things we find in Surah Quraysh? We have shelter and sustenance. We have trade and travel. We have security from fear. And then we have religion or religious devotion, So what would be just, what would we extrapolate would be just that everyone has access to healthy shelter and sustenance. Unjust would be difficult access, like they're obstructed. And so this would be things like food deserts, food insecurity. And then trade and travel, you have fair trade and travel. So unrestricted travel. So the prophet peace be upon him speaks about a time in which a woman without a mahram can travel like across the Arabian Peninsula. And her only concern is the wolves and then unjust would be what? Of course, unfair trade, restricted travel, and this is where we would also get into the conversation on riba. Oh, sorry. Security from fear is much more qualitative. Unjust would be preaching fear. 
meaning there is this virus out that's going to wipe us out, but not uh, giving you empowerment, not giving you answers on what to do. And then just would be protection of devotion. And unjust would be obstruction. So what are we saying from here then? <clears throat> Uh, uh, this is in the realm of justice. This is different than Sharia. So Sharia has its own priorities or in the Maqas of the, of the Sharia. And so what we're saying is that here is here are the Muslims in the society. These are their obligations to everybody. So this is, let's say, this is society. And these are their obligations to everybody else in society. So they might include Muslims. I'm going to use non for non-Muslim, Muslim, non-Muslim, etc. So these become our obligations to everybody in our society. It's to work in our capacity that I can't go to sleep with a full stomach if my neighbor is going to sleep uh, with an empty stomach. Right. That if people are being restricted from travel in a normal situation, meaning right now we're in a pandemic, so it's restriction for our, for our safety. So this is what we have in Israel. This is what we have in Saudi Arabia, right? You know, you walk into Israel as a Muslim and then you get detained for however long. I have a student uh, who, from Loyola who was, is a convert and literally... Uh, um, so he can, he did a Shahada in February, Ahant, Ahant met him, goes on this trip, this sponsored trip to Israel, sponsored by Hillel. And this is the first time he's been on a plane. And so what to think of even leaving the country? And he arrives in, in Israel and he gets grilled for I don't know how many hours by the interrogator. And the interrogator is insulting him. You're ashamed to your family, this and that. Do you think anyone's going to accept you as Muslim? Blah, 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 blah. He gets detained overnight, and then he gets flown right back to, to uh, the West. I mean, they sent him to Canada, even though he's from, from America, and then he had another flight, alhamdulillah, that could get him back to Canada. And so, so yeah, that would be literally uh, unjust. You know. And riba is its whole fun conversation. Uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion that riba is interest, but I'm also of the opinion that... Uh, there still isn't really satisfactory amounts of work in terms of what is, you know, how do you translate that economy into our economy? And so, so a believer is not one for whom they go, you know, their neighbors feel unsafe from them. And here, this would also be about the whole society and such. So, so Basar, this would be in a nutshell, at a societal level, what are my obligations for everyone else? So it's sort of outside the realm of gratitude unless gratitude is fueling my energy to do these things. And then the argument you know, of liberation theology and a little bit of the Khilafah movement is that at, you have your local issues, but then you have your systemic issues that either cause or inflame 
your local, oh, this is the worst drawing ever, um, that inflame your local issues. And so systemic issues are those things that are invisible. The people who see them are the ones who are the, are the witnesses of it. Some of it we see right now in the pandemic where we actually see why is the why is uh, in those places in Chicago where the where the uh, there's the highest concentration of of infection? It's because those are the places where people can't afford to to work from home, you know, and so they have to go outside and such. So Devon Avenue, literally, which is the land of the Daisies, is literally one of the most concentrated areas of of infection. And I have students who lost family members, you know, who live there. Why? Because their parents are, their dads work uh, as Uber drivers and cab drivers and their moms uh, uh, will often be working in Dunkin' Donuts and shops and such. And they're commuting all day long or commuting for hours just to get to work. And so uh, more often than not, if the economy is, 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 is flourishing, then, then oppression is hidden, you know, but except the victims still feel it. But yeah, those would be some thoughts. Any other questions? Black and Hispanic neighborhoods in Chicago, yes, especially. You know, throughout the north, the south side, the west side. Uh, 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 and then if we had another dimension in terms of Daisies and Hispanics, uh, uh, especially those who are undocumented, who can't even file for unemployment benefits, then yeah. But the point I'm making is that when you have a struggle like this, then a lot of the oppression becomes much more visible. Um, when things are going well, then the middle class may not notice how much oppression is taking place. What else? Any other questions or thoughts? So uh, thanks for all of this explanation comes out. Comes out uh, I guess that wasn't... Uh, so... What I was referring to was uh, when you think about uh, uh, Surat Al-Fatiha and you say, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, is that a subjective understanding of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala or is that, is that essentially um, how you should look at the world? And so I guess if you do, then you should take this into account what you just explained. Is that what you think? Uh, explain what what do you mean by is that how you should look at the world? So, like, put it into practice. What would that mean? So you say that uh, the praise and gratitude is for Allah, who is the who is uh, the owner, who is the cherisher of of all the human of all the uh, worlds. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if you are praising. And uh, doing that, are you, you're not really praising any of the bad stuff that is going on, right, in the world? Well, I mean, you might be expressing awe of it. So, yeah, part of it is definitely subjective, that I'm praising, I'm expressing gratitude for me. Or the fact of the matter is that Allah's plan is still happening, whatever it is. Right? Because we even say, you know, uh, everything that comes from Allah is good. And what's bad is what your own hands have, have done. Obviously, if a genocide is happening, I'm not going to say Alhamdulillah, right? Uh, but the point being that um, the same surah still says that there's a day of judgment, and the same surah still speaks of people who are earning Allah, who are earning anger, and then we said it can then be speaking in response to Allah's anger. And so, it's fair to assume that 
not everyone is behaving justly. And so, so think of the hamd at one level, the hamd of Allah is just because he is Allah. Okay, so that's regardless of what is happening in creation. And another level of hamd is for whatever he's doing to me and for me. And we can say the hamd of the good of what he's doing for other people. You know, like think of, uh, think of, of different levels of gratitude. So one level of gratitude is for things that Allah does for me. That's easy to understand. Or another level is things that he does for my loved ones. So, you know, something great happens to my daughter, alhamdulillah. And likewise for my acquaintances, students, et cetera, et cetera. And now think of being grateful for something that happens to a stranger, someone you're never going to meet. And so I think of the example of there are those Chilean miners, you know, who are stuck in, in the well, like 30 of them for however long. And we're sort of holding our breath. And then when we find out that they've been saved, you know, we're all thinking, alhamdulillah. Or those kids, those kids soccer players that went into the cave. Where was it? Was it in the Philippines or something? And then the cave started getting flooded. And so they had to send scuba divers to, to get them out. And, and Thailand, yeah. And, and, so, and so then we're feeling gratitude that they were saved. Even though they have nothing to do with us, we will never meet them. So that's another level of hamd. Now think of a level of hamd when Allah is doing something good for someone that you dislike. You know, uh, like an enemy or someone who in the past you have a very bad relationship with. That's, that's a stronger level of, of hamd if you can bring yourself for that. What would be a level of hamd for your oppressor, however, that if their oppression decreases, you know, that they get guidance? You, I mean, I don't see... Uh, how or why I would have hummed if my oppressor gets another mansion. Um, but if, you know, they start, you know, getting some, some, some light, then that would also be a place of hummed. Would you, would you do hummed if your oppressor got injured or died? I, I, I don't think it's wrong to do that in the same way that Bani Israel saw their oppressor get drowned, you know? Um, or it's just like, all right, that's you. I don't feel sympathy for you. You know, so I, uh, I have to admit, and I think there might be others who share the same sentiment when uh, our president, his, I think it was it a chauffeur or somebody who, um, who has contracted COVID and, you know, some of us are getting kind of hopeful his valet, yeah. Some of us are getting kind of hopeful that mm, if he caught it, then, you know, maybe, you know. That was the exact thing I was thinking of when I asked you my question. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, uh, it could be a weakness of my own iman, but I don't feel compelled to, to pray for the president to, to not catch COVID. There's a, in Gulistan by Saadi, he has these two funny stories, um, very similar uh, with slightly different endings. This, this uh, in one story, this dervish comes to town and the governor hears about it. The governor is probably Hajjaj bin Yusuf because he's always the, the, the evil governor of these stories. And then he brings them to the court. You know, this person has this respect for having such super high Iman. And then, um, and then the governor says, can you make a prayer for me? And then, the, and then in one story, he says, I pray that you fall asleep. And he goes, what, what, kind, of, what kind of prayer is that? And he says, yeah, the people are more safe when you're asleep. You know, 
and when you're awake. And in another narration, you know, this guy is brought into the, the court and he goes, can you make a prayer for me? He goes, yeah, I pray you die. That's the only way to get you to stop oppressing. But if the sugar becomes subjective, then I think we have to reevaluate our inner that you know how where we stand um, as on the personal level of gratitude or iman. Uh, because if 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 every time uh, I'm going back to the basis questions, um, so if 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 we are saying shukr, and we think that shukr is subjective, then I think there are some deeper issues we have. Because okay, then, go ahead. Okay, shukr should be sh you know shukr and hum should be unconditional. There should not be any condition involved with that. Okay. Um, to make, uh, can you give me uh, uh, an example uh, of any person you know who has reached a point where their humd is unconditional? What do you think? Because I don't know if that's even possible. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about anybody, but you know, I, I, I cannot, I cannot actually see anybody's heart where, where this. No, I, I don't necessarily mean like you know somebody you know. Uh, I'm saying. Even a hypothetical person, I don't, uh, I don't know. Okay, so one level of hamd is unconditional, which is hamd that Allah is Allah. Right. Right. But then when we talk about the things that Allah does, if we even say, okay, everything that Allah does is is greatness because it's Allah, alhamdulillah. Uh, but uh, how would I, because uh, I might, this is one of the part where I might be misunderstanding. So the example I give of this guy who got murdered, uh, uh, how would I do hummed? No, but, but I mean, then my question is different than that. What I'm saying is that, you know, the hum will come without any negative connotation. The hum is never came in our thought process if there is any negativity or any turmoil or anything else happening. Then we actually go back and ruju and you know look towards Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and then we say Subhanallah, right? This happened, and then you know you know have a mercy and like all the examples you just mentioned, right? Um, for the other people and ourselves, right? Um, and then okay. you know you're going for the Saadi, then you know, same same Sheikh Saadi said, right? Um, that he was walking and he don't have any slippers on. And he was saying that, you know, my Gulistan and Bostan, one of the famous book, and ya Allah, I don't have a slipper. And then, you know, after a while, he saw a person who don't have a legs. Mm -hmm. And then he says, you know what, <laughs> I'm going back and says, shukar, that, you know, that on the state of shukar, that I have a legs to walking with it. So, you know, when he see the other person, then he reverted his complaint. So, I mean, when, when, when we have a, I, I don't think so anyone come, when, and maybe I'm, I'm thinking it wrong, but the negative connotation with hum, when, when we say hum or shukar, there is no negativity in our brain on that time. Mm -hmm. It's always positive, right? Mm -hmm. We always see that, you know, okay, we will get out, inshallah, from this COVID things, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's our iman, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, that, but we always came out from this turmoil. Mm -hmm. so that's the level we have, right? We should see the end state. Mm -hmm. and, but then we have to have like all those ayats and uh, sunnah of Prophet in our mind that, you know, we will, 
we definitely will test you with you know will hoff will mm-hmm. do well all out and everything else mm-hmm. okay so uh, uh when bunny israel saw the pharaoh getting drowned should they be saying uh, should they shouldn't they be saying alhamdulillah that's a sign of relief from them right yeah but it's it's someone else getting drowned i don't know i was not there okay. we'll find out <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, i'm i'm testing your theory that's what that's what i'm asking okay so we, we can explore it further uh sadia saying if an oppressor gets a mansion would we we could still do hamd because allah has a plan for them for the day of judgment if we firmly believe in that so in a way we can still say alhamdulillah sure just like the example of the pharaoh getting drowned but i think the hum that we're saying is that all right they're not going to be able to escape allah's justice i think that's what your example is saying um the murder example i would still do hum because if i believe that allah won't cause harm it would only be for a reason um i th- uh, i'm having the same theoretical struggles that i'm having with your point that i'm having with the with the uh, uh with the dr malahad's point um cuz it's still somewhere there there's going to be somebody who's going to be affected negatively and so so let's say the guy who's killed he goes to paradise um and and so we could say alhamdulillah that he got killed um uh, but you know you know we're getting saying alhamdulillah over a killing and then um and then from there what about the killers Uh, along with Malahat's point think of the story of the surah of uh, surah kahf musa pisans he's headed into awful things but there's a greater picture but the hum can also be an exercise in knowledge and allah's knowledge being greater than ours uh, i agree with that uh, but the point being that i don't think musa al-islam would be saying hamd for he would be i don't think he'd be saying alhamdulillah for the killing of the kid you know or the you know the uh the sinking of the boat or the the breaking down of the wall and such um he would be saying alhamdulillah for the wider picture yeah and i think that is consistent with what malahat is saying but i'm saying um for the moments that you're in sometimes your hamd is going to be motivated by someone else's uh suffering destruction loss because it feels like justice has been served you know and so i'm saying if i'm doing hamd alhamdulillah uh because you know i feel like justice has been served which means someone else is being given suffering i don't think that's necessarily wrong it could be that i'm saying alhamdulillah that my team has won and so maybe justice has not been served but my side has has been given you know victory and i'm still saying alhamdulillah for it even though um uh, it's injustice uh, or someone gets away with something um and that would not be a good thing but that would be reveal itself in other aspects of life i suspect yeah because sometimes sometimes we just try to unpack so much to make simple things so complicated i mean keep going so Connected you know sometimes is sometimes the literal meaning and literal understanding for for some actions some some ideas or some narration can be accepted um i i'm going back to the yesterday's point right when we say you know we ask uh, all the conversation i mean so i think we we don't get into those 
we we get into the conversations and then we try to we try to complicate those discussions based upon to get participate into those discussion we try to just bring some very complicated and complex point of view which can actually make things so complicated for the journal and the other audience so what i'm trying to say that you know if if we keep if we keep things simple because if we unpack the way you you unpacking or you know trying to teach us the the lessons from the quran then it's easy to remember and easy to adaptable right practical like elm or amal kind of things mm-hmm. but if we try to do just that become more like a academic exercise and then just a philosophical discussion or discourse then it does not bring any value towards the practical side of the world and okay. lose lose the lose the lose the whole synergy right because yesterday you mentioned a point that you know if my class is not contributing towards ramadan and the spirit of ramadan then then there is no then you know you guys can go back and do individual ibadah right and then so if I, if you combine like those those uh, points the key points and then understand uh, your class then then it make more sense right that we can how when we go through with those items and you just mentioned uh, and then we can just try to understand those and implement in our daily life then things become so easier i'm using your class as an example but this can follow in everywhere in rule so i mean you know because in everywhere we call like keep it simple rule right so if you keep things if th- things are already simple we don't have to complicate it if things are complicated then we need to make them simple mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. make sense or i'm just talking sure but you gave me this whole theoretical statement and i'm looking for the practical no, relevance no, no, to what I, we're talking I'm about just, right I'm now i'm just saying that you know some of the questions we ask Yeah. is we try to make discussion complicate sure mm-hmm. you know just as a family you know we are, we are like virtual family right now but that's what mm-hmm. i'm trying to that you know speaking mm-hmm. up that you know uh, i think we try to complicate very simple points too much and then we keep dragging the feet mm-hmm. so if you don't do that and just take those example and see where i can able to enable mm-hmm. my limitations to go be and you know to grow up that's that's i think the point of view will jive in to your thought process i'm not forcing you to say that you know but i'm saying that you know your your point is that you know learn something and then do it right mm-hmm. so that's kind of like you know if we have to take this class with this goal then it's more productive sure okay i'm going to shut up now <laughs> i think other mahat you made it more complicated with i can't understand <laughs> Uh, so, so basically you are talking about the difference between the bigger picture and the momentary response. Uh, yes. Uh, that there's certain levels of, hum, of hamd of Allah that regardless of whatever the situation is that we're expressing hamd of Allah. And then there's certain cases that are particular to us that would be the momentary situation. The dunya we. Okay. Any other questions or thoughts? is about anything okay at all okay to just uh, when you when you're reading surah al-fatiha in the beginning to just say that all you attribute all the good that happens in the world to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are you're doing hamd because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from himself is as as uh, as uh, rabbul alamin he is doing all the good but the humans himself they're contributing 
uh, and they are, you know, the consequences are getting complicated in terms of com uh, the life of community and society. Uh, so that is, uh, that happens, but, but Allah himself is doing, uh, you know, great things. So that's why we're doing the hum. And aside from the hum that Allah is who he is. What's, what's your question? I'm sorry. No, I'm <laughs> saying, just... that, is that okay way to think? That... Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, relate to even Malahan's point about keeping it simple. Uh, uh, I don't know that it's necessary to think about all those things when you're saying Alhamdulillah, right? Uh, as opposed to just, you know, appreciating Allah. And then you can say intellectually it includes all those things. Yes. Okay. Momin, would unconditional gratitude be like a hippie type approach, like it's all love and transcendence, worldly circumstances are deceptive type thing? Uh, I think that is the risk, uh, especially uh, if you're with someone. Uh, I mean, I think the risk is that uh, it's personally dishonest, you know, with myself, because it's basically saying, you know, I feel no grief, no pain, you know, everything's good. And I do think a lot of people religion fall into that trap, you know, of trying to force everything to be good. And then I think it becomes destructive for someone who's grieving. And so, so I've had a bunch of cases and, and some of the people might be familiar with some of these, but, um, uh, you know, someone who will go through a family tragedy and, and they decide, okay, yeah, Allah will not give me anything I can't handle. This is everything from Allah is good. And when you're going through a tragedy, like a death of a loved one, it's like something's been ripped out of you and you're pretending that it's not there. You know, life is good. Everything is good. And then what will happen is that you still have this need for healing. It's going to manifest some other way. And so if a person bypasses their need to grieve, then they may manifest that need through militancy, rage, something else. And so, yeah, I would agree with you. It becomes uh, like a, a hippie type thing. And the part I'm emphasizing is that it's often dishonest, if not destructive. So, yeah. Um, can I say something? I have a comment. <laughs> so um, I had an example and it fits perfectly into what you, what you just said. Um, being human, uh, we have to, while we try to, I mean, um, to um, get closer to Allah, we also have to allow ourselves to remain human. And there are so many examples, like you mentioned yourself, in prophets' lives and, um, you know, Sahaba's lives and all. And uh, the example I wanted to mention is that um, one of my relatives who's like the kindest, um, purest person um, uh, you can see. And <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but back in the day we had Zardari as the prime minister and everybody was like sick of him. And uh, I, we literally saw him saying, when is he gonna die? Somebody died and he literally said that, when is he gonna die? He should just die. And so that was very different, you know, coming from a person who would never say anything bad for anybody. But it, it was just 
you know, such high level of frustration and sickening uh, oppression and corruption that, you know, he just said that like that. So I guess he was just being human. He was not being evil or, you know, or praying uh, anything harmful for anybody else, but just being human. So I think um, you're right that, you know, we should allow ourselves to be human. And in Mm -hmm. the moment, if we feel that way, we should feel, it's okay to feel that way, I guess. Mm -hmm. But keep ourselves like, in check mm-hmm. and it should not go out of hand mm-hmm. and yeah. so that's the key i guess yeah, yeah absolutely anything else no other questions inshallah so then uh we will stop right here inshallah and then we'll continue tomorrow doing the overview of everything and and then we will get into class number three, inshallah. Alrighty. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta. You rock. Nice mom. Thank you. Get, get, a, get it rock. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta. Nastafiruka natubi lake. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta. Nastafiruka natubi lake. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta. Nastafiruka natubi lake. May Allah tell the word you all, inshallah. Wa akhirat wa'ana. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah.